edition. We are here live recording from our own homes yet again. <laughs> Once again. Welcome to our podcast, Teachers Talk. We're now Zooming for the second time ever. Yeah, yeah. not because of sickness this time. Nope. Though. <laughs> no, not because of sickness this time. It's because we have an interview today. We do. So we have Claire. I'm guessing you're okay with me saying your name. We definitely did yes. cover that. Okay, great. <laughs> we have Claire with us today, and we are going to dive into all things history. Because you guys know how much we love history. I know. We talk about it all the time. <laughs> we couldn't get away from it. So yeah. my interviewee, would you mind introducing yourself, telling us your name and your profession slash job title? Yes. It's great to be here with you ladies. Um, so yeah, my name is Claire and I teach uh, middle school history. I formerly have taught uh, elementary and I currently also teach a ninth grade course called Humane Letters, which is a combination of history and literature, political, um, some political science, uh, geography, et cetera. Amazing. The fact that you teach middle school I give it to you. <laughs> props to you, honestly. They are amazing. They are challenging, but they are amazing. They're <laughs> very much figuring out who they are and just themselves. And yeah, no, it definitely can be challenging, but it's also also pretty great. They yeah. still, yeah, they still are really curious and can be really funny and also, yeah, their voices change and they, <laughs> you know, like get weird hair. Like this very much is happening in front of my eyes. Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> I love that. So yeah. what kind of interested you in teaching or how long I should ask, how long have you been teaching? And then what kind of brought you to the profession? So gosh, I've been teaching this, I think is my ninth year, which is kind of wild to say that out loud. Um, I have been teaching, yeah, I think since 2012, 2013. And what brought me to it? I, I am one of those kids that wanted to be a teacher. I had a chalkboard in my bedroom in when I was a kid and it like flipped over. And so I could write double time and I would write things uh, that could be taught to my younger brother, David. And he was... I don't know if it was like, there was some form of coercion probably that, you know, had him sit down and he, he was my first student in learning things like verbs and annoying. Like it wasn't that cool. It was nothing to do like history. Um, I think I just really liked the idea of it. I had good teachers. My mom is a teacher. Uh, my sister would eventually be a teacher. So I think it was a little bit in the blood, but also, yeah, I think I've always just loved working with children. And that is the truth. It's just something that it brings me a tremendous amount of joy to see the kids. And I think at this point, because I've been in the game a minute, I also am now seeing students get older. Students mm -hmm. that I taught in fifth grade are now graduating high school. And I've gotten to, I just did a senior thesis with one of the students that I taught in fifth grade. And it's just, it's extremely gratifying to see them grow up and them learn. And so kind of always, I've kind of always knew as much as I, you know, maybe have fought it once or twice. It's yeah. It's what I do. <laughs> Don't we all though? I mean, I was, we were saying that last week on the podcast, we were talking about 
kind of why we are teachers. And I was like, well, I tried to deny it. Yes, I did. I want to be, you know, something like I want to be a diplomat, some foreign country, or I wish I wasn't, you know, so afraid of budgets or I do something in finance. There's just, um, I, I've all, I just come back to it every time I think about it. And every day I have a frustrating day when I come back and I'm walking the halls in the morning. It, yeah. It just breathes life into me. So I, it is like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. Yes. Yep. <laughs> We're right there with you. We absolutely yeah, understand. Awesome. Good to hear. You mentioned fifth grade. Have yeah. you taught any other grade levels in the elementary side? Mm-hmm. No, I, and I, I fell in sort of by chance into fifth grade. It was the spot that needed filling is Mm. my assumption. And yeah, so I came into fifth grade as a TA, which was a brilliant experience to, I had, I had not, I was a history major in college, so I didn't actually have any formal education training. So came in and observed and the first thing that I was told to teach was a math lesson and I raced through it and I was awful. And I, you know, was received coaching from my head teacher. And, uh, that has also subsequently become a, a passion of mine is working with new teachers because I was that new teacher that just was pretty untethered and, uh, didn't have any of the, you know, the pedagogical training that is necessary to work with kids. Mm. I had all the love, um, but I didn't have the training. So yeah, fifth grade was, was, was my jam for many years. And I still think about it, you know, going back and having the kids all day, as opposed to having the kids for a 55 minute period. Right. Yeah. How's that, that change for you? Do you enjoy the upper school? Cause I, you do sixth grade history. Yeah. Correct. And then you do the ninth grade. Ninth grade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I think um there's something different about having the kids with you all day that is something mm-hmm. absolutely special. Because by the end of the year, I mean at the beginning of the year, you look around and you think, I'm gonna be with these kids for eight hours a day for you know nine months. And we get to know each other and it's this incredible kind of like family. And it's something that you also have that middle school, but, um, you play a different role. So you are, it's very much a team teach in middle school. So you really do have to trust your fellow teachers. to kind of stay consistent in what you're expecting, you know, the good cop, bad cop thing can be, or just like how, how, um, the levels that we are hoping to, to maintain with our students, you know, academically and also just supporting them and being good humans, which is something that they're really trying to figure out in middle school. Yeah. So yeah, it's a team, it's a te- it's more of a team approach. I do love it. I do love that. Now I, I, I just talk about history all day, That's so um, nice. which is amazing. <laughs> It is amazing. So there is that, like, I have just so much joy about really diving deeper into a into the subject. So that's good, but I will miss, and I do miss, um, yeah, I miss teaching phonics every once in a while, you know, <laughs> good old days, man, the good old yes. days. I mean, I cannot believe I'm saying that, but there is a phase <laughs> of like, man, let's just learn about the, the silent E, you know, and <laughs> 
Let's talk about the five ways. How <laughs> funny. Yeah. No. Well, then that kind of leads into the next question of like, how often do you teach history? I mean, you do teach a history class. So how, how many class periods do you have, I guess? Yeah. So for a full load for me is I teach two sections of sixth grade and the one section of the ninth grade, which is a two hour class. So I have, yeah, it's a two hour seminar. Okay. And how we approach history in sixth grade is different in ninth grade. And, um, in, in some ways, so I have two preps. They're both American. I'm very lucky. That is my passion. And so, um, when I'm prepping for one and I'm in, in one sense prepping for another, but one of the thought processes for having me teach the middle school and the high school is to make sure we have um, like a full arc of what we're giving the students because there's always the, um, you know, we might really hammer in uh, the constitution in ninth grade, but making sure that we still incorporate that in some cases or in some way sixth grade um, and making sure that when we teach the civil war, we make sure that we you know, address the civil rights of the 1960s. So seeing kind of the full, as much as possible, the arc of history um, to make those connections. So in sixth grade, it is a lot of, obviously I'm in the front of the room. I am asking the questions. I'm directing the, the narrative. In ninth grade, we're sitting in a seminar style. So we're kind of all in this, we're in a little rectangle. The students have often done pre-reading and we discuss. So I have questions that I ask them. Rather than me kind of lecture, it's, um, you know, we're doing World War II right now. So it's, you know, what are the ways in which the United States attempts to help reconstruct Western Europe? And so, they will guide that discussion using their text. And we do a lot of primary sources in both ninth grade and then some in sixth as well. That's beautiful. So just to clarify, even in your sixth grade class where you are in the front of the classroom, it still is Socratically designed to where you're, yes, saying a narrative, but also asking questions and discovering answers together in this manner. Yes. It's it's such a, um, a better tool for kids to actually understand what is happening. And one of the beautiful things about history is you get to, you begin to notice trends. And so with a well-placed question, the students are going to be able to make educated uh, comments about, you know, what is happening because you can draw back to things we've already talked about. And I think that history often gets a bad rap. Like when you look at old movies and stuff, there's like somebody talking in a monotone way, just like writing a series of dates on the board. And I never experienced that. I, I've had great teachers, um, especially my high school teacher, Ms. Pullen. Um, And it was a story. It is a story. It's a narrative of of humans and human actions and being humans, we seek patterns and we identify. And so the, um, the lecture portion there, obviously I'm the one that's guiding it and that takes crafting. It also 
takes intentional questions to get the students to start making some of their own connections about things. Um, you know, for example, again, World War II, uh, why? Why is Stalin part of the big three? Why are we, we talked about some of the atrocities committed by Stalin. Why is it that we are now allied with him? And the students will begin to recognize, you know, we are, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And we're trying to make these certain alliances that we've seen happen all throughout American and, and world history. So they, um, it's really gratifying to have that rather than me just tell them. Yes. Or, <laughs> or read it out of a textbook, which yeah. in my experience was what was happening growing up. You know, you gave the big old textbook oh, yeah. that weighs 30 pounds, <laughs> slam it on the desk and you open it, open it up and start yeah. reading. There it but, is. I mean, you just seem so passionate about this subject and I'm sure you have a million reasons why you love it, but do you have a favorite part about teaching history? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that is tough. I, it is tough because I think the most basic answer I can give is it's a story and I love stories um, and that they're real and you know, it'll, there's constantly shocking things that you'll hear. Like this actually happened. And it's something so amazing about, you know, it's not a piece of fiction that's outrageous. It could be, whoops, this is my life. It's a piece, it's something that actually happened that is a piece of fiction. Like this, this existed, this, these things happened. So I think it's just, um, yeah, I'm fascinated by stories. And yeah, I think that's, I can't really, I could go on about different yeah. parts and things, but it really is the fact that it's a story about humans. <laughs> You're not alone in, in that thought either. I know that Skylar and I have mentioned several times that history is one of our favorite subjects by oh, far yeah. to teach. And the students are so enthralled by it and they just want to be a part of the conversation and mm. ask curious questions. And it's, it's so beautiful to watch unfold. So, yeah. and I think it could also be the most intimidating though. Like I, when you're first starting teaching, um, it, if it isn't a passion and I've, I've worked with several people that have like, I, don't, I can't do this. I couldn't teach it. You absolutely can. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what if I don't know everything? Well, of course I don't. And I'm just very candid about that. If a student asks a question, I don't know that that's a great question. Like, and I will often task the students to find that out for us. Or, you know, I say, I have something I haven't thought about. You know, I will, I'll, I'll get back to you that tomorrow. I think it can be, uh, and no one's better at peppering adults with questions than kids. Like no one is better than seeing outside of the boxes that we live in mm -hmm. when you are a child and you haven't yet had those things solidified in your brain. So it's actually extraordinary. The things that the kids can come up with, um, in their brains that haven't quite calcified into some of like what we now know is like possible or impossible. It's yeah. So that it can be very intimidating. Uh, it also is just so, so fun. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's just one of those things where it is all about um, having that learning mindset along with the kids 
and knowing that you don't know everything, mm-hmm. but you know a lot more and you have a lot to offer. Mm-hmm. That's a good piece of advice for, for new teachers. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. Yeah. And I feel like, and we've said it before too, like you learn something better and you're more excited about it when your teacher is excited mm-hmm. about it. So the mm-hmm. fact that Ta- when Taylor and I teach history, we are so enthusiastic about it. And I see it in my students that when I teach history, you know, there's those few that really don't connect with it, mm-hmm. but like the majority connect with it. And even today, um, when I was teaching history, we were, we're talking about civil rights leaders and I had to cut my lesson short because I had so many, so many questions. Like I had to stop <laughs> questions. Cause like you said, they could just go on forever. Yeah. 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 That curiosity is, is amazing. And I, there is that the other side of it, especially with younger kids about all of the questions. And that was always something that I struggled with because you don't want to, uh, stymie that curiosity, but you also have to move on with your lesson and everything (laughs) to move on to this writing lesson. I would stay here all day. Mm -hmm. Um, something that I did with younger kids and uh, I used to have a question box. I don't know if this is something that is happening in younger grades now, but I had a little tin box in the corner of the room that when I asked students to put their hands down, I would say, write it down and put it in the question box. And what I would do on a Friday when we had free time is I would go through those questions. And sometimes, you know, out of context, they made zero sense, but often it was picking up on so-and-so's question because you do want them to be asking all those questions. That's tells you that they're trying to make those connections in their brain. So I don't know if the question box is, is something that could be helpful. It works a little bit less with middle schoolers who are like, oh, you're not going to answer it this moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, thank you. Instant <laughs> satisfaction. No, that's actually a great idea because yeah. we've been doing notebooks, like little composition yeah. notebooks where they jot down questions. Yes. You like the idea of them physically putting it into the mailbox. So it, I can yeah. get to it on a Friday versus waiting yeah. until the end of the unit. So that's exactly. a really good idea. Well, extra minutes, something finished early, just go to the question box. And- oh, that's smart. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Love yeah. that. Well, so now we know like why you love history. Why do you think history is so important to teach then? I, I do think it is so important to teach. And I think at a very uh, human level, it teaches us more about ourselves. And I think, you know, it, we sometimes in history, we kind of create these, we simplify it to like a good and evil or a, um, you know, a conqueror or conquered. And I think that is, it's too simple. I think looking at history in a full way is to, ask ourselves a lot of questions and it's to, I mean, it's to learn. And I think, for example, when you were talking about civil rights or when we were talking about, if, if students are wondering about the current events in Ukraine or in Russia, they will make a lot of sense when students learn. You know, even when we finish World War II in the US side of things and entering into the Cold War, the students will have a greater grasp at the motivations and some of the deep-seated historical tensions in the area. Um, you know, for example, in 
in Eastern Europe, but also just understanding, I mean, it's just understanding why certain states are the shape they are, understanding why um, certain rules are different or certain laws are different in California than they are in Alabama, understanding, um, you know, the, what role you can play in your own government, in your own life is, is, it absolutely comes down to understanding how these things were made and that they were made by people. <laughs> like, I think sometimes it's like, there is this idea that, you know, history always just was, it's on a page and it just, it isn't. I mean, it, we think about, again, I'm using a lot of World War II examples because this is what's on my brain right now. <laughs> but like, <laughs> we talk a lot of even students, we talk that obviously the Axis powers were defeated, but if you are a Brit living in 1940 and you are receiving you know, constant air raids, it is absolutely not a foregone conclusion that what happened happened. And so um, being aware of the events of the past, obviously I'm paraphrasing many different historians by saying it, it will affect how we, we act now and how we influence our future. And it's simple, it's oversimplified to say, you know, there are, as I'm referencing back to earlier, like it's too simple to say good, bad, close, you know, case shut. There are so many factors at play, so many things that can lead to terrible events that happened gradually. And so many acts of heroism that uh, have truly changed the, the, the tide of certain historical events it's just important to know that, that those were all events that were um, you know, perpetrated or instigated in a, for, for, for many reasons by humans. So I just think, yeah, it's, there's just too many ways that I think it needs to be important. Um, you know, even in a very modern American example, just understanding the electoral process understanding, um, understanding the electoral college. Like that's, I think so like, um, that, you know, why that was created initially and, you know, is it effective or necessary now? These kinds of questions, um, they all come from historical causes and understanding them or attempting to understand them through primary sources, especially can help us, helps us how we behave in our own societies. Um, what, is your, what is your policy on us coming to a class of yours? Yeah, you absolutely are welcome. Honestly, I mean, in this conversation, I've already been so inspired by you and I would love to hear, <laughs> I would love to watch you teach. I mean, likewise, in all sincerity, likewise, I think that we should cross, we should cross over. <laughs> I would love that. I really, really would. I want to see one of these seminars you talk about. Yes. I'd love to hear that. You would be amazed at ninth graders. It's yes. very, it's, it's a lot for me. I'm humbled at their <laughs> ability to, to question and to think. And it's also just super fun because you are spending two hours a day, basically staring at each other because you're in a circle, <laughs> like you're in a, in, in a rectangle. So you do get, you just know you know, people, and you know, that as teachers, when, when your kids walks in the door, like, you know, at a glance, if they're having a good morning or a bad morning because you know them so well, but 
anyways, yes, please come visit. I'd love to do the same. We should absolutely do that. I would, I really would love that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess our next question for you is why history versus social studies? Because we read, did you read the knowledge gap by chance? I have not. No, I've heard of it. I've not read it. Okay. So Dr. Jeffries had us read the knowledge gap and actually we've talked about discussing it and it's with COVID and everything. We weren't able to get to it in its entirety. Um, but I have read it twice now and wow. Okay. I, and I know Skylar, I'm speaking for you, but we've talked about it so many times we have come to really appreciate the context of that or the content of that book and just how we think all the time, like why history and why not social studies? Because our world seems to be in this place of social studies versus mm-hmm. history. Yeah, I always think that's kind of like sort of a false dichotomy that they are so in two different camps. I think besides the name and I think a lot of the connotation that comes with those two things. I remember growing up, we didn't have history class. We had social studies class. Mm -hmm. And um, my understanding, and this could be incorrect is that like it's a combination when you're teaching social studies it's like you're also teaching I don't know political science and civics and geography and those kinds of things which I would argue we do in a history class so um I think what is more rare is what we do at our schools which is we devote 50 or 30 minutes just to history that's incredible. Um, and I are, I would say that we in our classes incorporate geography, obviously like you cannot know history in isolation. Geography's destiny. In fact, I've been known to say, um, but, and likewise, you can't learn American history without understanding civics and the political history of our country. So, I think, I think we do social studies in, within the context of our history. I think, um, you know, we do learn about how laws are made and representation and about, um, you know, what an impeachment is, all these things that are necessary. I think they are necessary for a functioning person in our society and an ideal person in our society we learn about those when we learn about the constitution. That's just part of that, part of that unit. And so we constantly will refer back to that. Um, but I, th- when I think social studies, I think like a little textbook or like a little book that you go in and you fill things out. So my understanding, my, my plug of history versus social studies is that history ought to be taught in a narrative that is that includes comprehensively geography and political science and um, all those things. So yeah. what is lacking when you're taking maybe only a social studies class is like the actual thread that ties them all together. I think you learn things in isolation when you, if you learn something in isolation, your brain won't know how to connect them. If you study civics 
when they were debated hotly amongst the founding fathers, that's incredible. And you can see why. And then you can see things being fought over and changed as amendments roll through and stuff like that. So I think, I think that social studies, sure, absolutely, yes. And through, uh, or I'm saying through the context of, of history. And so if it's just out of a book, as you were mentioning earlier, that's just lame. And it's going to make you forget it. Like, yes. I don't remember any of it. Like, how does a bill become a law? Like, what? Yes. I think I like have to write out that diagram. And I know I don't remember it. Like, and you know, it's, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't have a place in your, in your understanding if, mm-hmm. if you don't put it, if it isn't grown out of something. Yeah. Exactly. Forget it. <laughs> and I think you nailed it on the head in saying, like, history is a story. It's a narrative. It's a trend. It's a pattern. Whereas social studies is taught in isolation or it can be taught in isolation, but you're right. We are teaching these things through Mm -hmm. primary sources and events. And I think that's the big takeaway, right? We are using these primary documents as truth and we are using them to tie it all together in a beautiful bow. Absolutely. I I love that you brought in I love that. I think that a primary source is like, it, that's another really great point is to bring in, how do you know something? Mm-hmm. The difference between a primary or a secondary source and that you're right. That is the, the truth of that, of you know that story or that event. And you combine that where you, where you create a full picture that allows an understanding of both a, histor- a historical and a I don't know, social study mm-hmm. vantage point. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, you've talked about like, you know, history as a narrative, it's a story. And we say that as well, but how do you go about, how do you make history a story, I guess? And how do you, I guess this is kind of two questions in one, um, how do you make it a story? And then how do you engage your mm-hmm. audience in it? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Um, besides the fact that it's naturally engaging when it's in a story, right? (laughs) You know, there are those, there's those kind of chunks of history where you're talking a lot about like tariffs and stuff. And you're like, nah, this is not as, not as, as exciting. Um, uh, I think so rooting it, I, you always want to root it again to the personal in some way where you have people they can identify. So following through with, okay, let's take it back to remember um, Thomas Jefferson. Yes. What was his view of government? Did he want a larger government or a smaller government? Okay. He, he advocated for a small uh, government, emphasizing local governments. Um, constantly as you're moving through the, the, the you know, the arc of, of our history, um, you know, you know, drawing back to say something like this, would this person agree with Jefferson and his person, would they want to have dinner? Like, would they, would they enjoy each other's company? Would they fight um, knowing full well that it's okay to disagree, especially the example of Adams and Jefferson, that you can be on absolutely different sides of something and end, end as pen pals. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the thing about it is you, yeah, you want to have, 
when I'm planning a lesson, I always think about, well, a unit, but specifically less, where do I want to end? And I always work backwards. So if I want them to understand, uh, you know, some of the, the difficulties of immigration during the Gilded Age or something like that, I'm going to work backwards and think about, okay, I'm gonna talk about housing and dumbbell housing. I'm gonna make sure that I show them the photography of Jacob Reese. And I'm gonna make sure that I can um, provide looking at some primary source documents of how much uh, a newsboy was, you know, was paid or something like that. So that I can, from many different angles, illustrate the difficulties of the immigrants living in, let's say Manhattan in you know, the late 19th century or something where that, those stories can be, you always wanna start with something that you can relate to. So, Thinking about your house, your bedroom. Oh, you share with your with your younger sister. Oh, that's, oh my gosh, she's kind of annoying. She leaves her clothes out. Okay, well, I'm gonna show you, a, that's, yep, that's totally human. That's something super relatable. And then you show them a photograph of an entire Italian immigrant family living in one room. Mm-hmm. And there's just something so, something so startling and something so relatable um, that there's always, so having some of those baseline understandings that you can always hearken back to, mm-hmm. again, Think about Jefferson, or again, think about the living conditions. Would this make you, how would you react that if you got sick at work and you were just fired? What would you want to do? What resources did you have? Who would you turn to? So kind of humanizing it, which of course it is a human story and asking a lot of questions uh, from some of those baseline understandings that you make and kind of weaving through towards where it is you exactly want to end. You want to end, you are in control of that. So of course you have a a bunch of questions you wanna ask and your students are always gonna have those questions. Um, I already know where I want them to go. I already know what notes I want them to take down, but I always will give the impression, I suppose, (laughs) that they are the ones that are kind of, we're going along together. So whenever we've talked about something and we've hit on something that I want them to write down, I'll say, great, all right. So what is a really important thing that we've talked about just now? And then they will kind of guide us through so that it's not just a, I'm sitting up there writing a bunch of mm-hmm. notes. That's the first, that is a, you know, first class way to have every kid check out. <laughs> yeah. it's painful to watch it done terribly because mm-hmm. I would be checked out. I, I do not enjoy sitting and being talked out. Nope. For an extended period of time, especially six times in a day or something. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, how do I tell the story? I know where I want to go. There's always baseline reference points that you always refer back to. You provide detail and you always provide those fun. And you know what I'm talking about? Cause it excites you. Those, yes. those fun little details that the kids will always remember too. Like it's sometimes annoying. That I'm like, you don't remember the, the main point. But <laughs> so I, I remember telling the kids once about um, Charles I when he's on trial for being, this is, in, this is a fifth grade curriculum, but Charles I is put on trial for, um, what is it called? A crime against a country. Treason? Treason, yes. And he's like, I can't be treasonous. I am the country. And uh 
it was a lot of stir. He was a very, very, you know, famous and powerful king. And the person who was supposed to be the judge cowered out. And so an, some lawyer came and he had to be act as a judge. And he wore a hat with a metal rim around it because he was afraid that things were going to go down. So I remember saying like, there's a, there's a, he wore a hat that was metal. Look, he disguised as a normal hat, and they remembered that all the time. They could, you know, barely remember the name of Charles the First. But the question that I could then say was, well, why would he wear a metal hat? Oh, he was about to convict his king, his king who previously could have absolutely chopped his head off. So they're, you know, just kind of those tiny little details that are actually very significant that seem kind of trivial. That's important. Another side note is as a teacher of history, we all know it's very easy to do side notes for far too long. Yes. And we always know the teachers we can derail. And I have to catch myself all the time. I'm like, nope, later, because, you know, that's a temptation, but it doesn't actually always do service to our students right. to kind of explore what kind of very esoteric topic we think is interesting, but doesn't actually enhance our students' learning. So, oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel strongly about that one. Like, <laughs> like it's, there's always a time. And again, it's, I would do that maybe on a Friday, I would say, write a topic that you'd like for me to, you want to talk about, you want to talk about the Titanic, like not today, but we can, we can find some time to go into, you know, the deep, no pun intended, just to go into that <laughs> whole situation. And it's like, it's, it's, you want to allow that as something fun and that you model your interest, but rabbit holes and becoming your personal talking hour. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. It can be tempting. It is very tempting. <laughs> don't do it. Um, so I hope I hope that answers. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Can I throw you a curveball? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have two questions and I don't know which one I want to end with. I think I want to start with, do you have any references, any tools that people could go to if they are interested in teaching more history, if they want to promote history to their school, say they're teaching social studies in isolation and yeah. they want to advocate on behalf of history, anywhere yeah. you would point Gosh, there are a ton of great texts. Um, I, you know, we we had a great one here, Pearson, which I, we're familiar with at, at your school as well. Um, I think that finding, there are a ton, and I, I hesitate to, to pull just one particular publisher, but I think what, um, what can be found in the, on the internet is just a myriad of primary sources. That's a great place to start with, with, um, with students and kind of getting, maybe buying in or having different uh, administrations buy into the power of what can be achieved is um, having the students read through, you know, the preamble declaration, have the students reading Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, mm -hmm. FDR's War Freedoms, things like that, where you start to bring in those, those texts, which are not, you will not find those, I think, in a more traditional social studies text. Mm -hmm. um, those are 
awesome. I, I tend to rely on those the most. And I use a secondary source, like a textbook, usually as a review. So how I would set up is I like in, in sixth grade, I like to be the one that introduces the information. I like to have them read a primary source at the sixth grade level. I would read along with them and kind of model how we would um, annotate and how we would uh, really kind of wrestle with some of the, especially antiquated language, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then I would assign them something to read uh, as a secondary source for, to kind of help solidify what we discussed. Amazing. I do that a little bit differently in high school. It's almost the reverse. I'll have them read sources and the text ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I will, you know, give me a minute to, to think about particular texts. Yeah. Like if you have teacher resources, cause I know Carter, Oh, what book was it? I don't have it in front of me, but she recommended some like American history book. It was thick, but yeah. I mean, any text where teachers can go and learn more. Cause I know Skylar and I want to take a constitution class somewhere in the near future. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I will, I will absolutely. And you can share these. There's a few that come to mind. Um, you know, yeah, a few, all textbooks often have an argument Mm. to them. So you have to be kind of mindful of that Mm. when you're sharing it with kids, uh, and they can pick up on it too. Um, the textbook that we use for ninth grade, the author has written, his name is Robert Remini and he writes, it's called the short history and it's, it's pretty good. It's very brief, but he has also written like a trilogy on Andrew Jackson and he is very brief on most things. And then just kind of goes in this like deep little love fest for Andrew Jackson <laughs> text. And you're like, all right, but you have, That's so funny. you are, yeah, you, you know, a lot about Andrew Jackson. And Andrew <laughs> here. Um, so I will, I will, I will send you some things. Yeah, it's like, um, yeah, picking up, it used to be so daunting, I think, to pick up text and I think it can be overwhelming to read a whole one. So find something, you know, read, read a, a textbook or read, read a book that was written about the prohibition era or read a book about westward expansion mm-hmm. or, you know, David McCullough writes these amazing biographies, you know, about particular John Adams is an, an incredible one. Um, so you kind of, that I think is also kind of the gateway into the personhood is just like reading about the people you, there are tons of books that are just so gripping. There's something, oh, I forget the name of the book that, um, river of doubt. That's Teddy Roosevelt going down the Amazon after he leaves office. It's just, yeah, the president goes on a nearly month long journey hunting and going on the Amazon. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah. And he comes back and tries to run for president again. Like this is just a really cool, crazy. Yeah. yeah. So those, that would be my thing. If you want to get into it and get interested, because it does have to start with interest would be the mm-hmm. reason it wasn't like a traditional textbook. I think that's kind right. of what got me into it. So yeah. Our colleague, mm-hmm. do you know, Anna? Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. yeah. So she it's works. In She's been on the podcast, but she recommended, I just pulled it up uh-huh. story of the world history for the classical child. Mm-hmm. And I bought that yeah. book. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Fascinated by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That is really cool. That she was did a great job with that. She's incredible. She doesn't hold back. She doesn't hold back. <laughs> no, no, she doesn't. <laughs> She's moving to third grade next year. So oh, broken, but oh. third grade will love her to death. But we trained her well. Yeah. So I wanted to end and I don't know if you'll know this off the top of your head. Do you have a top three list of people you would have dinner with like historical people? I've thought a lot about this. They (laughs) asked us at the beginning of the year, three people we would have dinner with just in general. Yeah. Like as we're talking, I'm sitting here thinking like, "Hmm, I wonder. I, oh man. Absolutely. Well, oh. I love Abigail Adams. I think she's brilliant. Um, she, yeah, the, the, the letters, that's a very fascinating thing as well. Reading the, the letters between her and John, she is ugh, this just amazing woman, very uh, sharply opinionated and just deeply caring and very supportive. So I would love to have a meal with her, to have her perspective on things. It's stereotypical, but I would love to, I would love to meet Lincoln. I just would. I think he is an incredible human being. I'd love to hear, you know, you read descriptions of kind of how awkward he was and how he would go off on these random stories and um, that he kind of had a squeaky voice and that he was wildly intelligent. I just would, that is, sounds like an amazing (laughs) dinner conversationalist. Um, You know, it's a toss. I would love I would love to meet, um, I'd love to meet both F, I'd love to meet Teddy Roosevelt. I heard he was a nonstop wild good time. (laughs) He drank coffee by the bowlful. So he would be kind of, um, he would, he would be amusing. I also, I would love to randomly, I think, um, well, I don't know. I think there's just a million. I was going to (laughs) say, Woodrow Wilson's wife, and I think her name is Ethel, but she basically ran, uh, Wilson had a stroke uh, during the end of his term and she kind of, she kind of ran the show and I would love to know a bit more about, about her. So, I mean, there's just, yeah. I mean, I love, I also love dinner. So that's another thing. (laughs) You got my number there. (laughs) <laughs> love that. Well, that is amazing. And seriously, oh. thank you so much for yeah, coming on. I am really glad to meet you both. I mean, to be here and to meet you, Skylar, and to see you again, um, Taylor. It's just so fun. And yeah, I I love, I love talking about this. I love that you both love teaching. I think you're amazing. I think that what you're doing here is, yeah, it's needed. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. And I am going to text you to when we can come into your classroom. (laughs) Great. Yeah. Likewise. Let's make it happen. Great. Okay. Well, we'll see you very soon. All right. You have to end with a positive. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I forgot. Claire, we end with (laughs) something we're grateful for or something that resonated with us. Do you want to start or do you want to be last or in the middle? Um, I'll go middle. Okay. All right, Skylar, rock, paper, scissors, ready? Mm-hmm. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Darn it, rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh, I went, okay. So my positive today was, I had a little girl powwow today, which was so necessary. Um, we're going through some cattiness that just 
wasn't called for. So we sat down and we had a very empowering, we're in this together. You are protected here. You are safe meeting. And it followed a conversation on Mary McLeod Bethune, which was lovely. And that was just, it was a nice way to end my day. So there's that. <laughs> I love that. Um, I am going to cliche. I am going to add this to the end. This is really, um, for my day kind of felt a little nonstop and then, uh, having the time to think about what it, why, and what I do is just, it was a necessary pause for me to do. Um, I think we get, an, I get in the thick of it and it can be exhausting. The time of year is pretty exhausting. So this was really putting a lot of wind in my sails, just kind of reinvigorating. Um, yeah. What I'm, what I'm doing. I'm so happy you said yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely the truth. Yay. Um, I'm going to kind of reiterate my positive from last time because we kind of rushed our positives last time because we, we did, had, uh, in dog dogs coming so so I'm gonna kind of reiterate what I said last time in my positive and it's really like got me going this whole week um over last weekend I got to uh FaceTime or Zoom with a student who moved to Philadelphia so Mm -hmm. she's no longer my student but I still talk to her mom and we still send letters and so she being in Philadelphia does not learn history at her school um, and she was one who was obsessed with history. Like she was my one that like read about everything in history. Like she just loved it. So I got to zoom with her and teach her the entire Westward expansion unit. And then we got into wow. war and she had to leave. Um, so we got through Westward expansion, a little bit of civil war. So I'm going to call her again this weekend and finish <laughs> civil war and then also teach her immigration because she loves it so much and it just like filled my bucket to be able to talk to her and still as if she's one of my students but she doesn't even live in the state anymore so that was like amazing I'm so happy you do that that's amazing (laughs) wow yeah Yeah. and truly incredible thanks all right ladies have a wonderful evening Thank Thank you you so much. Talk to you later.